Are you with me now in Ephesians in chapter 4? I'm going to begin to, well, this is sort of an uh, open season on Ephesians today. Justin worked us down through certainly good ways into through verse 16, 17. I'm going to have us pick up at verse 30. And I want to comment a little bit, so uh, you may want to make a note or two in the on the handout. Does everybody have a handout? We get David has been very good about getting to those. If you don't, wave your hand. I think we're in good shape. Thank you, David, for seeing to that. All right, follow with me. Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, probably multiple house churches. And as Justin reminded this morning, um, Ephesus was not an easy place to do church planning and to watch church growth take place. Beth and I had the privilege of walking the streets of Ephesus. It's a marvelous city, even in its ruins. One cannot help but stand there and with a little bit of imagination and look out over that, what at one time was quite a metropolis. And you look out to the harbor and you would think of all of the commerce and the ships coming and going. You think of that great temple that was set there to Diana, the Ephesians, Artemis, and just the, the paganism that just was uh, had a suffocating grip on that entire culture. And right in the midst of that, here is this work of God in the church among the believers in Ephesus. Quite a storied history of this church, but we'll have to cut that short because, you know, later on when some, what, maybe about 30-something years after Paul writes this, Paul, they have to be... They have to be rebuked. You've left your first love. But at this point, Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus in the following way. After having mentioned the fact that uh, there ought to be a close watch on this tongue of ours, watch how you speak to one another. We are responsible for the words we use and the tone of voice and what we say. And then on the heels of that, he comes along to say, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, that's an imperative. It's an interesting, it's a present imperative. Cease grieving. Uh, Put it to a stop. Do not have the habit of grieving. Think of this. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that we, by our our sin, we can hurt God's feelings. And we can... Limit, therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, this ought to sober us up good, for watch how he goes on from that point. Let all bitterness, every kind, every trace, there's the significance of that all up front, every trace of it, bitterness. This is the word pikria, pikria. Used four times in the New Testament, and the idea is that, um, based on the word, it means the word pick, P-I-K, means uh, to bite, to cut. It's a sharp point. Um, so it um, describes that condition of the soul that's poisoned. Well, I'll get back to that later. We're going to define bitterness, so let's go on. Then he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, wrath here is the word thumas, it is rage. We read about road rage. You just, you come unclued. Anger, this is the more the settled, continual burn 
that it can be explosive, it can be implosive. But it's this settled, sullen hostility, a rebellion, a pushback. Pushback against whom? I will show pushback against God. Anger, clamor, it's the word krauge. It is brawling. And people who get so excited, they raise their voices. Don't tell me I'm not angry. You know, that kind of thing. Sorry if I brought back some bad memories to you at that point. But slander, blasphemia, blasphemy. It's speaking, speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs. It's seeking to destroy their reputation. Be put away from you. Another, another imperative, an aorist imperative here, like do it. Put away from you. Take it off. I don't know if this came to mind as I was reading back through this this afternoon. This picking off, throwing away, putting off. I can remember as a kid going out into the woods and just didn't pay any attention. Would come in and I had beggar lice all over my pants. You know, you hit that. You got to pick them each one. This is it. Pick, put it, get it, get it off, get it away from you. Very decisive language here. From you, along with all malice, kakia, kakia. This is that uh, grudge-bearing, seeking to get back at just uh, devious and hateful attitude. Now, it gets better from here. <clears throat> we, I cannot help but say this, but we had an opportunity, well, when I was in the Ambassador Choir at Columbia Bible College, this was one of the songs that we sang. And it was, it'd come on, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then the sopranos would come in. Be kind one to another. It was just, uh, I'm not doing it any justice, but it, it just it sat in my mind for these six, almost 60 years. The way, be kind to one another. See, just the opposite. It's the word Christos. It's interesting in its sound. It sounds like the word Christos, which I don't think was lost on the hearers of this in the original language. And so be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. You explanoi. It means this is compassion. It comes up from within and you, you, uh, you move toward. It's an expression of kindness. And forgiving each other. And it's the word, there are two words for forgiveness. This is the word charizomai. This comes off the root charis, grace. It's a grace gift that you're offering in this. No, they don't deserve it. That's the whole idea of forgiveness. But it's the opposite of bitterness here. And so you're acting in grace toward one another as God in Christ has acted in grace toward us. Forgiving each other just as... Motivation, motivation. You say, why? Why should I forgive them? Wait a minute. Just as God in Christ also forgave you. How did he forgive us? Freely. Cost Christ everything. And fully. Isn't that wonderful news? But then he says, therefore, be imitators. Yeah, the word in the original sounds just like a mimetai, mimic, imitators of God. As beloved children, walk, keep on walking in love, just as Christ also 
loved you and gave himself up for us. Substitution. An offering uh, and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. All right. Now let those words uh, sink in, settle into your thoughts. Um, they are where they need to be right now. Hopefully they're up front and you're ready to come to terms with them. Let's go to this matter before us tonight. Lori, not a real name, was 16 when her parents divorced. Anger toward her stepfather and mother became increasingly problematic. The preferential treatment her stepbrother received kept festering and occupied her thoughts every day. What was the God-pleasing way for Lori to handle her resentment and bitterness? Cody and Esther. They married on a beautiful day in October. It's one of the biggest weddings remembered in their community and church. Their marriage began with great hopes, happiness in a supportive church family. But things began to change. Cody's behavior took a turn unanticipated by Esther. He became domineering and obsessed with sports and gaming. Esther kept her anger to herself, tried to make the best of the circumstances. Cody, he withdrew emotionally, or excuse me, she drew emotionally, withdrew emotionally from Cody, and found relief in being with her girlfriends at church. But underneath the surface, Esther was seething with resentment toward Cody and his lack of attention to her. Ralph. Ralph had been a member of his church for over 15 years. He was faithful in attendance, was consistent in his giving, and tried to help others with his mechanical and building skills. But year after year, Ralph was not considered when church officers were nominated and voted on by the congregation. At first, Ralph didn't think much of it, but as time went on, he found himself irritated that he was overlooked for an opportunity to serve in a leadership position in the church. Some of his friends noticed that he began to be less frequent in his church attendance. But Ralph explained that his work was keeping him away. His increasing lack of friendliness disappointed many, but no one said anything to him for fear of offending him. Now, these stories are representative of a silent but deadly disease that inflicts many Christians. It's often difficult to detect because it can easily remain undetected. A thought occurred to me over here a while ago. I was kind of running through some of this, and I thought, and I thought, what if we had one of those detectors? You know, when you go to a store, and, and now they've got the system set up, but if you go out and you've got some product from the store and it's not properly checked out, I mean, if you stole it or they forgot to take off whatever they're supposed to take off on that, then also you go, beep, 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 beep. I wonder what it would be like if we had those in some strange kind of uh, mechanism at each door on Sunday. And we walked in, and these were detectors to give us a reflection of, of resentment that we were bringing in to our meetings. <laughs> gives me the shivers. I made that up not because I want it to happen. But, but 
It stays under the surface and can be very selective in how it affects others. Those who are not the object of resentment, uh, of the resentment, resentful person's anger can be treated as if everything's going well. They can be friendly and eager to talk about the Bible and theology. But yet underneath the surface, there is this low, slow burn of anger. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, describes resentment as, and I'm quoting, anger held on to. Most often it is internalized. It arises in the heart of a person who is ill-treated in some way, but does not feel in a position to do anything about it. An employee may feel ill-treated by his boss, but doesn't dare react in an outwardly angry fashion. So he internalizes it in the form of resentment. A wife may react similarly toward an overbearing husband. Resentment may be more difficult to deal with than outwardly expressed anger because the person often continues to nurse his wounds and dwell on his ill treatment. The Bible is not silent about resentment, though we may be. And though we may harbor it, and though we may be even if the buzzer, the beeper had gone off tonight, we would all be shriveled up in fetal positions around this auditorium. <laughs> but there is something that the Bible has to say about it. And it is a serious matter. It grieves the spirit. So I know we're concerned about some of the great moral issues of our day. And we read the papers and we see the new, hear the news. And we are focused upon some of the more glaring, flaunting of the moral law of God. And that's fine. But with that, we must, must be vigilant. What's going on inside of me that I'm so willing to excuse and overlook and actually, and actually uh, consider as no big deal? But with that said... Let's look at it. I'm going to walk us through these, and I'm going to go along, and hopefully I can get along at such a pace that we can uh, come to some question and discussion, if you'd like, at the end. Let's first of all consider what resentment is. Now, there is a little small cluster of words. There are three words, actually, anger, um, resentment, and bitterness, and I'm going to be defining those in some detail here. But let's get a running start on it by putting it this way. That resentment is the refusal to forgive someone of a past hurt and the pain that is carried with it. As someone has put it, the unharvested fruit of anger. Now, what we have to do at this point is that we have to define some terms. And I'm going to do that with, now, we don't have the time to explore everything. What the Bible says about anger. It's a huge and important subject. Um, all right, let's proceed. Anger. What is it? I'm not, I do not. Um, yes, you have this in your notes. I've got two sets of notes here. So I'm going to keep, make sure I'm staying with you. All right. Anger is our physical, emotional, and me- mental, and spiritual rebellion against a perceived wrong against us. Don't miss that word rebellion. We, I think anger is probably of the sins 
that God hates. It's the one that we so easily try to domesticate and excuse because it's just so much in us and sin has done such a number on us and how readily anger can just come into a situation. Our anger is a, this is a definition that I found helpful. This is from Robert Jones, and I recommend this book to you, Uprooting Anger. It's a good read, important read. I think it would be worth your while if, you've not, uh, have any, if you don't have any experience with the book. Well, he says, Jones says, that our anger is our whole person, uh, personed active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. He goes on to say that anger is complex. It comprises the whole person and encompasses our whole package of beliefs, feelings, actions, desires. So it's not just something right, just a little bitty thing. It just gets all of us. Well, just think, what happens when you get angry? Well, it's... I don't know. How did you, you just turn red? Do you, you feel like you maybe got a little bit of fire, depending on the degree of anger? With that, let's uh, okay. Let's go to resentment. What is resentment? Well, the word. If you want to do just a little dictionary work, I went back and just looked it over. To, the word comes from two words, French word, a Latin word, means literally to send back. It's to feel back, actually. So it's the feeling, as the dictionary puts it, the feeling one has at being injured or insulted. We use the synonym umbrage or peak, that kind of thing. But resentment is an unforgiving spirit. It's the low burn a low burn grievance over a perceived offense. I have a quote here from Cornelius Plantica. He says, Resentment is a special and usually protracted form of anger. Resentment is anger aimed at what the angry person regards as unjust, insulting, or demeaning, especially to her personality. Let's bring in bitterness. It's very important to keep these words uh, clear. So uh, not clarity in defining them, of course, is not the answer to dealing with them, but it's a step in that direction. Bitterness. It's the pain of internalized anger, smoldering resentment. The Here is uh, the way Jerry Bridges speaks of bitterness. Bitterness is resentment that has grown into a feeling of ongoing animosity. Whereas resentment may dissipate over time, bitterness continues to grow and fester, developing an even higher degree of ill will. Bitterness. And this, uh, this bitterness or this smoldering, If you can see something here with these three words, anger and resentment and bitterness, 
Anger is the baseline. What we're talking about with resentment or and, and bitterness, I'll use Bridges' words. He, he has a chapter in his book, Respectable Sins, and he deals with those as what he calls the weeds of anger. So baseline, baseline for resentment, we're talking about anger. And when we speak of bitterness, we're talking about anger. But it's, it's anger that's begun to metastasize. And it's beginning to take over in some very um, injurious, injurious ways. All right, I think that uh, that's going to be all we can do on, yes. That's all we can do with uh, those terms. We'll, we'll come back again. But let's go on with resentment. The roots of resentment can be traced. They may be in your notes. Does it say may? Yeah, that may should not be there. My grammar is not good here. Can be traced to our sinful hearts. You know, what we when when you discuss anger, for example, when you think about it, and you're trying to you're, you're examining what's going on, it comes down to this: What do I want? Right? If I'm if I am angry at someone or something, what do I want? I know I can't find one of the things I've. I don't know if I've confessed this publicly or not, but. Uh, if I can't find something that I, and this really gets to be a bigger problem when you get older, believe me. I can't find something that I want, and I misplaced it. I can't, where is it? Oh, it flies all over me. I have to really work on myself. And what do I want? I want the satisfaction of being able to go to something and get it immediately because my time is important, and I'm gonna, and I want to be satisfied with that. Well, okay. I give you an opportunity to confess anything you want to. Okay. Huh? All right. All right. So, what what makes our desire sinful? There's work that we have to do here. We have a heart condition. The heart's deceitful, desperately wicked. We can say this, that the capacity to be angry and not sin is God-given. Justin had an excellent treatment on this. Uh, it ought to be posted on the website because I've found myself, I know, at least three or four times needing to go back and refresh my memory on some of those characteristics of righteous anger. They were helpful. And this is a, God gets angry. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. But sin has come into the heart, and it corrupts, how easily it corrupts anger. Most of our sin, though, lest you begin to get comfortable with this, most of our anger is sinful. It's not righteous indignation. And how quickly righteous indignation can just um, go into sinful anger. The capacity to be anger, angry is because of indwelling sin. We got a heart problem, and we want what we want when we want it. Human pride, human pride's a culprit. We all reject the ruler, God. What does pride do? And it sits underneath this. It sits underneath. I'd put pride right underneath, underneath anger. If you're trying to build some kind of uh, layer picture here of these, that. 
We all reject the ruler by trying to run life our own way without him. But we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. We insist on personal preeminence. Pride is the displacement of God. Because we love ourselves and we don't get what we want when we want it, we get angry. When was the last time you got angry? Give you a few seconds. What was it like? What did you get angry about? Was it someone? Was it something? What did you want? These are not, uh, these, these are useful inventory questions, by the way, as we preached ourselves and not just listened to ourselves and see, so we'll force ourselves to see what's going on. Sinful anger. You say, I thought this was a talk about resentment. It is. But let's be sure we understand the, the mother of resentment and the mother of bitterness. That sinful anger, if it's not handled biblically, leads to resentment and bitterness. We have examples of this kind of thing in Scripture. We have the, the notorious case of, uh, of Herodias. She had a grudge against John the Baptist. We know where that came, what that came to. John the Baptist lost his head. Saul became angry because of David's popularity. Saul kept a jealous eye on David. That's an interesting related sin, by the way, jealousy. We may just do one of those, overcoming jealousy. Now let's, let's go through some of the ways in which we can be resentful. And then at the conclusion of these, I want to give you some symptoms, some symptoms, not so that we can um, play games with one another, pick out somebody who might be, but to help us to look more carefully at ourselves. But I'll come to that. Well, we can, we can be resentful toward God. Actually, I think all of it is really that. You don't just get resentful of somebody without being resentful of God. Remember Jonah? Jonah thought he, thought he got a raw deal. And he was out with what he was essentially a nice air-conditioned place, out ready for, to watch God nuke the Ninevites. It didn't happen. And he was ticked. He resented the fact that God did not take care of the Ninevites, who were a perennial threat to Israel's safety and well-being. He didn't like the way God was doing his plan. Could be some tragedy. Could be some adversity, some disappointment. Some people live their entire lives with having been resentful, and then it's metastasized, and they get bitter, and they live their lives angry toward God. We can be resentful uh, toward our spouses. Marriage, Colossians 3, in verse 19, that's where the husbands are warned, don't be bitter toward your wives. Um, Maybe, in the case of a wife, that... The husband is not doing what he ought to do, what he promised he would do. Um, a woman has what there are men, there are male sins and female sins. And I heard this discussed on radio just recently that a woman tends to be more critical than a man. And she can find things, and we're not excusing the men, but she can see things. Now, if that, if that discernment she has can be sanctified, it can be useful to both. 
We can resent our children. A father can resent a son who is not as athletic as he thought he was, and the son isn't interested and doesn't do well in sports and is an embarrassment to the father. A daughter can be resentful of a father who pays little or no attention to her, comments on her weight, and, and is just totally insensitive to her struggles, her issues. And so there can be resentment that she would have. And I've already more gone into the next of these is that children can be resentful of their parents. Maybe a parent was more partial, was partial to one of your siblings. Anybody have that issue? It may not be large, but if if it's if you cultivate it and you work on it and you think about it enough, this can become a life dominating condition where you say, Well, they got a lot more attention than I did. We can be resentful toward our employers, teachers, someone in a position of authority over us, wages, working conditions. Well, we had an explosion of this sort of thing. I remember, I remember the Eastern Airlines collapse. Some of you remember that. And this impacted, at least in my circle, it impacted men in a big way. If you want to watch something interesting, watch something get between a man and his job and let it be somebody in authority or whatever else is in the mix. Oh, my anger and resentment. And it can, I recall one man, he was referred to me to come for some help with regard to his marriage. And he did. He did come. And he was an Eastern employee. And this many years ago, and you wouldn't know this person. Um, didn't go to this church. And uh, I remember how his, his you could see the, the, the resentment had gone to bitterness. He said, I'm going to do everything I can to destroy Eastern Airlines. And he had a job where he could have done some things. That I thought about that. <laughs> Whoa, I want to fly on the airplane he worked on. <laughs> I think. We can resent a brother or a sister, an adopted child toward a biological child. I've just recently read, some of you read too, Joseph and his brothers. Did that ever get messy? Uh, and how that went on, and of course, well, it's quite the story, and you know the punchline, at least theologically, Joseph comes through. You meant it for evil. You resented me. You were bitter. And you wanted to kill me. You were angry. But then he goes on to say, God meant it for good. He sent me before you to save many lives. Oh, Lord, grant us the grace to have such a response. We can be bitter toward our and or resentful of our in-laws. We can resent, be bitter, toward those who confront us over our sin I will say this publicly, I am obviously, it is a public place that I can tell you this is one of the hazards of being an elder, any elder, 
pastoral preaching, when you have to get into situations you're called in and there has to be some confrontation, you become the target. And I think that there are people who are walking around Fayette County who bear anger and grudges and resentment. They were confronted. And nobody is going to confront me. That's where it goes. That's what it can do. Now, what are some of the symptoms? Um, I don't want to linger over these. It's uh, This is kind of scummy business right at this point. But, uh, all right, we'll hose ourselves off here in a moment. <laughs> we'll take a shower. And, but what are some of the uh, symptoms that might be seen? And maybe you're, well, let's go at it. Um, attempts to take away the perceived advantages of the person who is resented. Yeah, some attempt to take away an advantage, maybe a, a reputation. So therefore, criticism, slander, can become a weapon of choice here. Uh, you, I don't like the way you treated me. I'm going to get you. It's revenge. I'm going to, I'm going to some, uh, as best I can, I'm going to diminish you. And that, therefore, leads envy. Envy is, a, is bound up tightly with uh, resentment and bitterness. One, uh, it's Cornelius Plantinga, he said it this way, a corrupted form, he speaks of envy, a corrupted form of resentment and therefore of anger. I'm going to get what they have in some way, some measure. Withdrawal of affection. Attention, common courtesy, social withdrawal, rudeness may be a sign that there is some resentment. There is some slow burn anger. Or, I mean, it just may be, it may just be full, all stops anger. Obsessive thoughts about an, in, an offense. You just keep running it and running it and running it and running it. And you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. Before you know it, and however long it takes you to brush your teeth, a couple of minutes, you have gone through that, and you are fit to be tied. Not a good sign. Uh, dwelling on that ill treatment. The abuse of alcohol or other chemicals. Disproportionate responses to minor offenses. Boy, whoa, that's... How does that fit here? That kind of thing. I have no need to. I have symptoms of bitterness, but maybe that's enough uh, for this. But, but I will say there is, and we don't have time to go off and to treat this at any length at all, but there could be some, re- if there is righteous anger, there is righteous resentment. Watch it. It's very handled with care. That there would be those injustices that we see that either have affected us or certainly our culture. And we see these things and we can resent them. I'll tell you one. That African-American folks had to deal with something in Montgomery, Alabama in the 1940s. When the buses would come by to pick up folks at the bus stop. 
course, this was the day when it was white sit from front to rear, black sit from rear to front. But in Montgomery in the 1840s, black would come onto the bus, pay the fare, because and, and, and because they were not allowed to go down the aisle and maybe brush up against a white person, they had to get off the bus and walk back down outside the bus and get on at the back door. And sometimes the, the, the driver who, who wanted to uh, get a little bit of jollies from the whole thing would pull off and leave them. Now, could that cause some righteous indignation? There are things like that. Now, it has to be handled, whether you're black or white. We've all, we've all been put in situations where we've been a recipient of an injustice, correct? Somewhere. Somebody at work, somebody, somebody said something that was not true, and the boss didn't check things out, and you got penalized. So what do you do with it? You have to handle it. Now, that's what do you do with the righteous, uh, righteous anger and resentment? All right, we'll have to pass by that and, and go further. All right, what do we say next? We say this, that resentment, resentment bears bitter fruit. It does. It grieves the Holy Spirit, breaks our fellowship with God. How can you say you're enjoying your companion, your fellowship with God and then be simmering underneath in resentment, in rebellion, rebellion against someone or something? And to grieve the Holy Spirit is the refusal to kill off sin and replace it with righteousness. And it can alienate us from those toward whom we resent and or are bitter. Disunity, home, church, school. You want to start poisoning the church. Just get folk who've got some slow, low burn of resentment and let that go unattended and not be dealt with in a God-pleasing way. And you're going to get, you're going to get alienation. You're going to get, you're going to get uh, conflict where people will refuse to work through and settle it and handle it God's way. And it gets ugly. And churches like that become places where they're hard and they're harsh and you just you don't want to be there. Re, um, resentment can result in physical problems. It can. It can. Now, please, don't. I'm not telling you if you've got any of these conditions that uh, you are guilty. But I can I know that there are things that come to uh, happen to us physically, anger, and what it can do when it's not handled. So one thing, it'll take your blood pressure up. And headaches, colitis, these kinds of things. And it's also infectious. Uh, the reference in Hebrews 12:15, the root of bitterness springing up, an individual if you get someone who's going about with an with a with a res, resentments and they've metastasized into bitterness, that person can poison an entire congregation. 
begin to undermine. I may have read stories, just read one the other day of a woman who got resentful and anger, and she didn't deal with it. She got angry with the pastor, and she ended up being just a one-person train wreck with regard to the whole congregation and what it was doing to others. Okay, time to take a shower. Let's go. Let's, let's consider this. A little different metaphor, <laughs> not a shower, but the swamp of resentment must be drained. Must be drained. Now, I have seven of these, and I'm not suggesting that they are prioritized by their sequence, but I want to go through these, and then we can have some discussion. So I'll, I'll try to move right along. I'm not saying everything that we could say about them, but here's it. Let's consider the first, first thing, that the glory of God's perfections must be as bright as the light of our day, light of day, that when he said, Paul said, it must be put away. The battle, again, one writer put it this way, the battle against bitterness is a battle against unbelief. The battle against resentment is a battle against unbelief. It's hard. And that our anger and resentments must be exposed to the light of God's holiness. We've got to see it for what it is and be broken Awareness of God's grace and forgiving us should shame us for the refusal to forgive others. When I want to hold on and cherish that anger at that person and I won't forgive them and I'm holding on to it, should shame us. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Secondly, the cause of resentment must be Identified and confessed as sin, as sin to God. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, there was a question that was asked, this sidebar, question that was asked uh, last week with regard to confession of sin and the judgment seat of Christ. Lest there be any misunderstanding, and when you take care of a sin and you go before God and you ask for forgiveness, your God is not going to be... Uh, Play double jeopardy on you. Like then you're going to have to, you're going to have to face it and deal with it. And before God, it's for, it is forgiven. It's not held against you. But we're to confess it, bring it to the Lord. And Christians can be resentful, and Christians can become bitter. It shouldn't be. It happens, and there's not a person in this room who has not stumbled and fallen in this in area in some way. And we've got to deal with it immediately. And I don't, I'm not, I hesitate to be too humorous with a point like this, but I can't help but think of Mayberry and Barney. Nip it! Nip it! And we've got to go after ourselves because it doesn't get easier. It's like cancer. Get it early. Aren't we told that? Don't let it spread. And if we would just take sin as seriously as we take the threat to our own, threats to our physical well-being, we would make 
massive moves forward in growing in grace and growing, as Justin reminded us of this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139, 23, 24. The one toward whom the resentment is directed must be forgiven if they've sinned against us. Now, we have to do some some fine work here. We may perceive an offense. I mean, that is, this is the way it can work. Someone may not be sinning against us. It may be some social offense thing, an oversight, uh, uh, they forgot something, or they something that was unintended. So we don't have to wait and say, well, they've got they've to ask for forgiveness. Well, is it a sin? There are offenses, and we probably get a buku of these during a typical week. Love covers a multitude of sins and offenses. Um, if you go around wearing your feelings on your sleeve, and you begin to um, put these kinds of things in the bank, you're going to be one unhappy camper. Um, so watch, we have to watch ourselves here. And, but those who sin against us, we've got to forgive them. Now, I know there is the issue, the Mark, uh, the Mark 10 passage, the, um, the Luke 11.3, I think it's Mark 10.25, the what appears on the surface to be a bit of a conundrum that we're told to forgive someone. And then in Luke, it says, but then if they come to you and ask for forgiveness, you forgive them. So what I do and the forgiveness that you for someone who has sinned against you, you grant that and you don't hold it against them and treat them on the basis of revenge and anger and unbelief. You treat them in love. But if there is a sin that they've committed against you, yes, they would need to come to you and ask for forgiveness so that there can be a full and complete reconciliation. But that doesn't, that doesn't um, uh, eliminate the responsibility we have that we immediately deal with it ourselves. We don't have to wait, well, I'm just going to be angry and I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to take my time then. They're not coming to me. I'll give it back to them. Oh, no, 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 no. So, therefore, um, forgiveness is, briefly, it's not thinking about this incident. It's not bringing this incident up and using it against them. It's not talking to others about this. It's not allowing this incident, whatever it was, to stand between me and that person. I'm going to relate to them in love, in kindness. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is probably better where the nippet would go. <laughs> know how to forgive and overlook sins and offenses. Now, I just did I? I was somewhere in our study. We've done what it means to forget, and um, it seems like I've done that recently. So I'm going to go to the next one. We need to renew our mind daily with the Word of God. Keep in mind that, you know, our minds must be just marinated so that the, the 
the reflex response to ill treatment, offenses, when someone sins against us, is that we want to train ourselves. Hear my word here. Train ourselves. It's the word that the writer of Hebrews uses, so that our senses can discern good and evil. We have to train ourselves because we can develop some really pretty sorry habits. And we have to work to kind of retrench, change the way in which we respond. So therefore, we need to renew our minds. Leave the punishment to God. And sixth, learn how to get along with people. I'm just going to leave that one because that one opens up another one, um, a lot of other issues. But learning to, to show kindness and what does kindness look like. I've got a list of things, but I'm going to skip it because I want to get to number seven and conclude. We overcome resentment with love. What must a grudge bearer do? He must love his neighbor as he loves himself. And I'm going to read something that I came upon um, by Ed Welch. I was just kind of sniffing around some site, and I found this, and I thought this was really helpful on this love. And um, love is, is uh, patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It's not uh, doesn't brag. It's not arrogance. It's not rude. It, it uh, doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It uh, rejoices in uh, the truth and doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. It, uh, it bears all things. It believes all things, bears all things. Okay, here he is. Well, says this with regard to this in the context of dealing with resentment. Love is not for the faint of heart. It's a hard road. Whenever you hear the call to patience... You know it will be hard. But love is a very good road. So let me say it again. You will bear with and endure. You will bear with and endure relationships which you feel, in which you feel unloved. Expect this to happen in the church. Expect this to happen even in the home. And when it does... You will be tempted to be angry and resentful. But the way of Christ and him crucified is best. He bore with us and endured with us when he was rejected. And his good plan is that we be given the same opportunity. How will you bear and endure? You will do so by believing and hoping in Jesus alone. If you are believing and hoping in the other person, love will fall flat. But if your trust is sequestered in Jesus Christ, you will have power to love that you never anticipated was possible. Oh, oh I've got to stay close to the cross. 
unless I want to start wandering off into my own schemes and enjoying my own revenge and enjoying. And this is the perversion of resentment, isn't it? We can enjoy it. We can enjoy it. But that's why sin is so popular. It's fun in the short run, but killing in the long run. All right. It's a couple of minutes past, but... uh, Um, well, let me see. Did I have a question? Which, uh, to do, to do, to do. Let me, let me kick this up and see. Oh, oh, yes. My metaphor of Chinaware. I gotta forget that one. (laughs) Yes, this is what I wanted to say. Set the table of your daily, this, um, of your daily thought life with the Chinaware. Uh, I hope that doesn't sound too corny, but I, I don't know, it just seemed to, I was thinking like when you, you know, it gets dished out to you, 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 you got it. Okay. All right. Set the table of your daily thought life with the Chinaware of God's absolute sovereignty in all the affairs of our lives, the both the good and the bad. And this, this is a good thing to, when you, you brush your, you brush your teeth in the morning, I hope. Okay. You brush your teeth in the morning. Hey, this is the, that's a good time to set the table for the day. Lord, you rule, you reign. You're sovereign over everything. The people who've hurt me, the, the disappointments, the struggles. But Lord, I want to think your thoughts about this. I want to please you. We've got to train ourselves. That's a new way to brush your teeth. All right. That's the, the Chinaware teeth. I don't know where that goes. That's it. Was there another one? Was that it? Let's see. I just went through that, but uh, there we are. Anything? I got this. Uh, this is part of a larger, this was on the site that does, I tell you, I got there. I went to the CEF site, and I typed in up the search to resentment, and I, and I came down and saw, does love really believe all things? This is really part of a, of a little wider discussion. What does it mean that love believes all things? He's got an interesting treatment of that. I left that out. But uh, this is where it is. It's, uh, it was published April 25th, 2012. Um, Does Love Really Believe All Things is the title of the article. Okay. Yes, Alice. Well, you may get the brush off when you do that. I've had that happen. And, whoa. Um, but it, I guess you're, we back up and let's assess the, it, you, we're assuming that what you are going to them about, that you've got pretty good reason to believe that you're just not pulling, it's not just your feelings that you're trying to verify. That you, you've got some facts that you're working with. Um, 
I think that would be a, a critical point that, okay, I feel this way, but is this feeling this way because of maybe some other things that maybe it's possible, you know, we can begin to build a case of an offense and it really and it, it evaporates when we really hold it up to close scrutiny. So I would guess that it just preceded with some real thoroughgoing self-judgment. And, but that isn't to say we shouldn't hesitate if they said, this thing is just, it's just stayed with me and for these reasons. And then you've got something to work with uh, where I would go. There. But then you, you still may get brushed off. That's not pleasant. Anything else? We are sobered by this. I know the. I know what you. I know. <laughs> Lord, grant us the grace. We need help here, Lord. We just. Oh Lord, I, I'm just afraid of myself, Lord, and how I can enjoy sins, and attitudes, and resentments, and just sort of. Just take care of them and. Enjoy. Oh, God, grant us the grace to break free, break free, break free, and forgive, even as Christ, you've forgiven us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.